Hello and welcome. My name's Ben. I'm the CEO of Charlie HR, and this is the Culture Ops Podcast. We're the podcast that's trying to lift the lid on the challenging situations that affect your business and your culture on a daily basis. Let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode of the Culture Ops Podcast. Over the last month, I think it's fair to say we've seen two camps start to form. Those who believe that the office is dead and remote is the only way forward. And then those that believe that the office will still be the preferred choice for businesses globally and for a lot of those workforces. And here at the Culture Ops podcast, I think it's really important that we tackle those questions and tackle those arguments. And so today I want to dig into the argument for why the office isn't dead and why there's still a place for the office within the way that we work going forward. And to do that with me, I'd like to welcome someone I've got a lot, I've got a deep respect for, someone who definitely knows a lot about offices and office space and how companies think about um, the environments that they work within. And that is Tushar Agarwal, CEO and co-founder of Hubble. Tushar, welcome, mate. How are you? Hey, Ben. I'm very good. How are you doing? Yeah, decent. Um, what's the, uh, what have the last three months been like for you guys? Uh, the last three months have been a pretty wild roller coaster ride. Um, you know, we, we went into, we're an office space startup. And all of a sudden, overnight, people stopped going to offices. And whilst that seemed like it would be a short-term thing, very quickly working from home, we started to see this discussion happening very publicly around, hey, do we actually ever need to go back to the office? And for, uh, for a business which is an online marketplace for office space, um, that's quite an existential <laughs> problem to have. And, um, you know, we've been, we've been battling with our market shutting down, our transactions coming down. We were in the middle of a, of a fundraise at the time. Uh, so we've had to take some um, evasive action uh, to make sure that we still survive through this period. And so, yeah, it's probably been the toughest period for our business, but also myself as a CEO, having been um, a CEO of this business for six, nearly seven years. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm sure. I think I think for everyone it's been tough, but definitely um, for someone, that's, some of the business that is so clearly linked to, to you know, a, an, a a way of doing things that's been really hit by coronavirus. It's you know for sure super challenging. So why don't you start by giving us some context uh, about what Hubble's mission pre-COVID nineteen was. I know you're doing a lot of thinking about how you kind of adapt the business for the future, but sort of, you know, before this happened, tell us a bit about what, what the business did and the kind of the, the, the mission that you were on. Yeah, absolutely. So our vision right from day one has been to create a world where everyone has the right workspace to succeed. Um, and that vision is very much embedded in the belief that uh, physical environment is very important to how human beings behave and work. Um, we all know, you know, when we're 
when we have kids or when we're at school, we think a lot about which school do we want to send our kids to? What clubs should they be in? Who should they be interacting with? Um, and we think a lot about physical environment as a way to create specific and different outcomes. And if you think about work as adults, work is 60, 70% of our waking hours for most of our lives. So having the right environment is actually pretty, pretty important to be able to succeed. Having the wrong environment can be pretty devastating. Um, if you have the wrong environment, you attract the wrong people. They can't work properly. And even if you had the best idea in the world, your business won't be able to succeed. Um, if you have the right environment, you bring in the right people. They interact with each other in the right way. Um, and your business has a much higher chance of, su of success. And so the vision for us around creating a world where everyone has the right workspace to succeed was based around people's workspaces typically were the office. But what the office was varied quite significantly. But in general, people were going to an office to work. Uh, what's changed now is not our vision. Our vision is still exactly the same. Uh, create a world where everyone has the right work workspace to succeed. But actually, uh, we're really cognizant of the fact now that that workspace may not be an office. It could be really be anywhere. And we think that's actually, you know, one of the biggest opportunities uh, we've had as a business, because we're going to see a fundamental shift in the entire market because of how people perceive the right environment for their own work. And and I think it's, it's probably the most exciting time in my career as a, as a founder and office-based startup. Um, because we have always been progressive, we've always been forward-looking, and we've always been tech-enabled, it is going to be a harder time for people who work in our sector who operate physical buildings. So if you have spent millions of pounds building an office building with a particular um, state of the world in mind, um, and that building costs lots of money to build, it's going to be there for a long time, you're then going to have to really rethink of you know, how do you position yourself in this new market? But for us as a technology business, it's fortunately much easier to adapt uh, to this changing environment. And we're really, really excited about that. Hmm. So, so I know you've been doing some research on how customers and people within, um, you know, the tech, tech hubs across Europe are thinking about space. But before we jump into that, I'd love just to get your stance because I know you're super connected with you know, the different providers and suppliers of, of space, you know, has there been a difference in how some of them have acted and responded to this crisis? Have you seen a, a difference of, of view of, of how they're supporting, um, you know, their customers and the businesses that, 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 you know, rent space off them? Yeah, I, we, we certainly have. And not just during the pandemic, but also pre-pandemic as well. The property industry is notorious for being old school backwards. And a lot of that is to do with um, this, this sort of the words landlords and tenants. So the words landlord and tenants come from, you know, the feudal system when the landlord would be the person who controls all the land, controls everything. And as the tenant, you almost have no choice but to pay them money for accessing that space. Um, mm. And there's been a lots of, uh, landlords within office space um, across the world who still view that as as the relationship and what we've been seeing over the past sort of five to ten years with the rise of 
you know, companies like WeWork, for example, is office providers are having to become more and more customer and tenant centric. They have to treat those businesses like their customers and they have to adapt to those needs. And some of those some of those office providers and landlords have been doing that. And actually, they've been the same ones who have been very quick to act uh, during the pandemic in terms of changing their business models, in terms of making their own places safer, more hygienic uh, to visit during a pandemic, um, adding more and more flexibility for the customers. Um, and you still have a few office landlords who are still burying their heads in the sand, still hoping uh, that things will go back to the way they were. So you have seen you have seen a, a real mix, but what's been you know one of one of the things that we've been championing for the past six years is to really give the the clients the occupiers the businesses who take office space um, a voice and some power in that in that in that conversation and mm. really what we're seeing now is that that voice is going to be heard louder than ever before when people really start to vote with their feet in terms of do we return to the office or not, or how much do we return to the office? And that's that's really going to force a lot of these landlords to who've been burying their heads in the sand to really react to that as well. Yeah, really interesting. So let's let let's talk about what you're seeing from from customers from the market in terms of how businesses are thinking about space, what their teams are thinking, how they're looking at the future. What are the what are the trends? What are the ideas that you're starting to see emerge? And then and then let's look at, I guess, how, how you guys see the future on, on top of that. Yeah, I think, um, so we, we actually ran a survey in the last couple of weeks called Should You Ditch the Office? And uh, we had over a thousand responses to that survey in the past couple of weeks. So we've got actually a pretty, pretty detailed primary data set on how people are thinking. And the respondents to that were businesses of all sizes, shapes and sizes, sectors, geographies. So... I would say there's probably, um, I think, six key trends around that that we're, we've started to identify. I think the first one is that, and you know, this has now become more obvious, but just to put some data behind it, the work from home experiment has worked. About 70% of people who responded to our survey found that uh, working from home was, was positive for them. Um, before that, they'd only work from home maybe one to two times per week. And in the future, about a third of them would want to work from home one to two times a week and another third would actually want to work from home three to four times a week. So that, you know, that's really gone from being something which people kind of flirted with pre-pandemic into something which is probably going to be a permanent trend. There's going to be more working from home. However, People aren't just going to work from home. About 70% of them said that they wanted to work from home, but also exactly 70% of them also said that they wanted an office of some sort. Um, so definitely that experiment has worked, but the, the results of that are a bit more nuanced. I think the second trend is around perception and mindset. So you used to have the vocal majority of business owners. And remember that technology startups are, are much more progressive typically in the way that we operate in our businesses than more traditional businesses. There used to be a majority mindset that working from home was not acceptable. Um, all you have to do is look at Sir Alan Sugar's Twitter feed uh, to see his opinion on, on working from home. And he still maintains that people still need to come in 
every single day to get work done and it's impossible to do otherwise. So you have seen that majority mindset shift move towards, hey, actually, maybe this working from home thing works. Maybe people are productive. Um, I'm saving time. I have more time to spend with my family. Um, I have spending less time commuting. I'm less stressed. And so people have had to experience it for themselves in order to trust their colleagues and their team members with it. But you've also seen a perception shift the other way around. So you used to have a, a very vocal minority of people who were championing fully remote work. There's no need for offices at all. You know, everyone can work remotely. And majority of them were distributed workforces, technology companies. And even those companies have said, hey, actually, maybe we can't work from home 100% of the time. We still need access to some sort of physical space. So they've also changed their mind and gone the other way too. So that's been really interesting. Uh, the third trend is we still need each other. So when, you, when we look at our survey and we look at the reasons why people still want an office and the reasons why people are frustrated working from home, it's nearly all to do with belonging, collaboration, clients. So you know, 66% of our respondents said that team culture was the top reason why people still wanted an office. About 63% said collaboration. 50% of them were talking about social. Uh, 43% talked about being a place where they can meet clients. They, were, they didn't believe that they could have optimum client interaction just from working remotely. And actually, 40% of them said the office is the best place for me just to do regular desk work because actually at home, I don't have the right environment to do quiet, focused desk work. Um, so, you know, we still need each other and we want to be with each other physically rather than on a screen. Um, I'd much rather be doing the podcast with you physically in a room together mm. than, you know, doing this on, online. Um, the other sort of couple of trends is that the office-based decision used to be a one-size-fits-all decision. So it used to be very top-down. So either your CFO or your C COO are making the a decision on behalf of the entire company on what that office should look like. But what's happened now is that, especially within the survey, we've started to see that every individual, depending on age, gender, living situation, commute, um, team that they work in, has a very different preference about where and how they work than someone else. So this is a key thing that employers are going to struggle with because you've now gone from a world where as an employer, you could realistically ask everyone to work in a certain way. Now you've had to go to an environment where everyone is almost able to work however they want. And to then revert to a world where you can then tell them how they should work, it's just not going to work. So mm. there's going to be, you're going to have to take into account individual preferences. Um, and related to that, you're also going to have to take into account team and sector preferences. So there's some teams or some types of work that are better suited to an office environment than to a home environment. Um, and sales teams is a really good example of that. You know, a lot of salespeople come from a sports background, a team sport background, and they view sales as a team sport. And to do that, sitting at home on your own, on your dining table is much harder than sitting in your office with six or eight of your team members all doing the same work and having that sort of environment 
that sort of competitive tension that exists, which, you know, helps you do your best. So you're also going to have these internal politics within, within companies of, well, you've let this department work from home, but you're asking this department to come in, to come into the office. Why is it one rule for that person and a different rule for me? Mm. Uh, so that's going to start becoming really, really interesting. And the final bit is really the implication on, on businesses and, and, and decision makers on how do you, how do you make decisions now when the number of variables in that decision has grown exponentially almost overnight? How do you decide what does the office look like? How many people, how much space do we need? Where is that space? What does that space look like? How, who comes in? Who doesn't come in? When do they come in? All of those decisions are going to have to be made. And um, I think, I think it's going to be really, uh, really, really fascinating of how this starts to play out. So I guess I would I would turn that back on you and say, you know, those, those trends make a lot of sense. But what I hear from them is this idea of flexibility, this idea that um, people want to people want access to space, but they also want access to to uh, working from home or working remotely. And when they are accessing space, they want to have control in terms of how that space looks for them and how that's set up for them. People want flexibility in in how they're working. And, you know, it doesn't take uh, an incredibly smart person to, 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 to understand that that makes a good amount of sense, right? All people are, are different. We're all, we all have different likes and needs and, and desires. And so this idea that I can create a working pattern and a, and a working environment that is unique to me makes a lot of sense. But your business is focused on helping people find space for them. And so how do you take all of that insight, which is about flexibility? You know, you probably can't build a business that allows companies to be completely flexible in terms of how they think about their office space. That sounds like a mountain that would be very difficult to to, to climb. So how, how do you take that insight that you've got and reimagine Hubble, rethink Hubble, use that to power your mission, which is now still completely viable, right? How do you, how do you use that to power what you guys are going to do in the future? Yeah, really, really fascinating question. And I would, my answer would be that that's still very much a, a work in progress. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's a work in progress purely because people talk about pre-COVID, post-COVID, but actually we're in covid and, and we're here for an indeterminate amount of time. And so everything is changing on a weekly or monthly basis. So even some of the data sets and, you know, the surveys that we did two weeks ago, we're not sure whether people will change their minds about that in three months' time, six months' time, depending on how the lockdown eases and depending on how consumer preferences shift, how the rest of the world changes. So I think for us, flexibility is the word. It is key. We have to be flexible internally. The first thing that we're doing, and this was really the purpose of this survey as well, is how can we help those business owners and decision makers understand their own staff? And then once you have that information at quite a detailed level, you can then start to make decisions within the constraints of the property market. So once you know, right, okay, this, you know, this many team members found working from home really 
productive, this many team members need to come into the office because actually they're living with five different flatmates or they're having to, they can't really be productive um, at home. When you have, um, you know, we're, we're asking people, how many times do you want your direct team to get together? And how many times do you want your whole company to get together? Overwhelmingly, the response is, I want my direct team to get together once to, once to twice a week and the whole company once to twice a month. So once you have a lot of that hard data for your own business, um, we're then helping those businesses then navigate the property market in terms of, well, this is what you want to do. Here are the constraints of how you can transact within that market right now. So let's see what the best decision for you is right now. And actually, that may change in three months or six months or nine months or 12 months time. So let's make sure that whatever you do allows you to change your mind or evolve that, you know, in three to six months time. And what we're doing on our side is basically speaking to the office landlords and the office providers and giving them that same data back and saying, by the way, the nature of your the nature of your customers has changed and will continue to evolve. What can you guys do in terms of altering your service offering to start catering for that? So it's definitely going to be an evolution and a process. It's definitely going to take three months, six months, 12 months, um, even longer for that market to start to evolve. But we're being really proactive right now in just helping those businesses understand. And the reason why that's so important is that office space is typically the second largest fixed costs you have for most businesses. And it's in a, in, a, in a time when there's maybe a recession, when people are having to cut costs, that's a big line item that you see as a decision maker of where you need to make a, make a call on it and you need to make a call pretty quickly. And so for us, it, it's continuing to be that trusted partner on the, on the customer side, help them navigate that and have that conversation on their behalf with the property industry and get those guys to evolve as well. And what you're likely to see in terms of flexibility is you're likely to see what you were seeing before was the, hot the hotelification of office space. So um, you were seeing brands like WeWork, Regis, Fora, Runway East. They were sort of becoming the Hilton, the W, you know, um, equivalents in that market. And I think what you're now going to start to see is a similar trend but kind of like gyms and fitness studios. So, you know, you can join Virgin. Virgin will give you access to swimming pool and fitness classes and all the equipment. Or you can just go to Barry's Bootcamp, which will give you a particular type of workout that you seek. And so you're going to start to see a very similar trend happen in the office market where you'll have the Barry's Bootcamp where people use that sort of space for a particular type of activity. Um, but you'll also have the WeWork, which will have under one roof access to all of those things as well. And as a business, you can make a decision of what you what you prefer. So, you know, we started this conversation by saying, you know, the office isn't dead. And I think what I'm hearing from you is that maybe the office is dead in terms of how we perceived it before all of this happened. And the spaces, as you kind of alluded to there, how we see the space and how we interact with the space is going to change. The office, as we saw it before, is dead. Monday to Friday, nine to five, one hour commute each way is dead. What's not dead is the need for physical environments to do different types of work. 
where some of that environment may be home, some of that environment may be elsewhere. And that fluidity is going to start to come into the market. So the office, as we knew before, yes, is dead. Um, but what the office or the workspace will look like in the future is is, is pretty exciting. Um, and it will be fluid and it will be um, it'll be it'll be unbundled. If you think about if you think about what Google started in the early 2000s with their really fancy offices and their sleeping pods and their cafeterias and their gyms was they were bringing home into the workplace. They were bundling everything under one roof. So you didn't really need to leave. And I think what you're now going to see is the reversal of that trend of the unbundling where um, not everything is under one roof. You actually go ac access or visit specific places to do specific activities for your business. That's really interesting. So let's, you know, let's kind of round this off by talking about culture. And I think I was super keen to have you on the show, not just because I think you're an expert in this subject, but, you know, when people ask me my opinion on, uh, you know, good places to go and get a job or places uh, to go and work, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm searching for something new. Do you, know any, do you know any good companies out there hiring? You know, Hubble are always in my list. And the reason there was in my list is because I think you balance building a high growth business, you know, a really ambitious business that also really, really cares about its people. And, you know, uh, uh, you will tell me how good your culture is, but I've also heard it from lots of people who have, who have worked with you over the years. So, you know, I think you have an understanding of what good culture is and how useful that can be to driving business value and business performance. How do you think this unbundling of the office is going to affect how we build company culture? That's a really good question. It's something which we've been thinking about as well as we've had to go fully remote, just like everyone else. Um, firstly, thanks a lot for that. I mean, I, I appreciate your your words on that. It's it rings for me at the moment purely because you know Tom and I, my co-founder, we've since the beginning we've always been very different. We've always been very opposite personality types. But the one thing that we've agreed on is building a place where people love where they work. Um, and even if our business is never commercially viable, which 70% of startups are not purely on a statistical basis, if we built a place where people loved where they worked and it was full of amazing, talented people, then, you know, we've, we, we've done something good and it's, we've done something to be proud of. Um, I guess when you think about the word culture, the, you know, the, the word culture just basically translates into a way of life, right? Um, it is a way of life and it, there's a Hubble way of life. I think you do need some element of physical interaction and proximity for culture, for culture to disseminate in the right way, because culture is about people as individuals, not just your organization. And individual interactions, as we know, even from the survey, you know, 70% of people want physical proximity to their colleagues and their coworkers. They want that feeling of belonging. So physical proximity is, is important. Does that mean that we, in order to build a really good culture, we have to go to the office Monday to the Friday, nine to five? No. Um, it is possible to build a really good culture fully remotely. We've seen businesses like Buffer, uh, like Basecamp do that, and they actually almost over-index on culture because they're aware that the fiscal proximity isn't there. Um, but 
I think what's going to happen is that you're going to start having when desk work can be done at home or in isolation, actually the physical time that you meet with your direct team, that you meet with clients, that you meet with your whole company are going to be even more culture focused than they ever were before. So I think businesses with inherently bad culture are going to get exposed because what's going to happen is that you're going to have a team offsite or you're going to have an optional office scenario and people are just not going to want to come in and you're not going to be able to force them to do that. And that's going to expose rifts in your culture. Mm. Um, and I think in order to, in order to build culture and in order to work from home productively, there's no business will have no choice, but to build excellent culture, you know, culture will become almost the number one tool for productivity and high functioning businesses. And you will have to think about that deeply and explicitly within your organization. And, you know, I know quite a lot of my friends who don't work in technology startups where we talk about culture, you know, culture is a subject that we talk about. That's not even talked about in most of the business circles. You know, we're relatively progressive in that way. And there's been a lot of, there's a lot of people at the moment who are very unhappy with their company culture, which has been exposed by them working from home. They're unhappy with their managers because their managers are used to managing based on presenteeism. You know, what time do you come into the office and what time do you leave? That's what determines your, your performance uh, review at the end of the year. And those managers are now looking for presenteeism on Slack. You know, how quickly do you respond to a Slack message? Um, and if you don't, then you're slacking off at home. And so there's going to be a lot of people who become very disenfranchised with their employers because there's inherently bad company culture, which was kind of hidden when you could be in physical proximity to your friend at work. Uh, but now you're directly equally exposed to everyone in the business and equally unexposed at the same time. Yeah, it's so interesting you talk about this idea of talking or not talking about culture. And obviously it's something that you know, business leaders like you and I talk about a lot. But, you know, that is that is rare. The reality being that obviously culture exists in any group of people, be that in a work context or a social context, you know, whenever, you know, two or more people come together, that their culture exists in terms of the interactions. And I think one of the things that we've been trying to work on is how do you boil down culture to its component parts? Because we've really struggled to make culture something that you can work on. You know, it has become this fluffy and nebulous idea. And so the thing that we talk about is we talk about the ingredients of culture being people, process, how you work, how you communicate, and your policies. And I don't mean policies in terms of written documents that sit in a desk drawer. What I mean is the kind of agreed do's and don'ts of an organization. You put all those ingredients together and ultimately the outcome is, is your culture. And so... I think we are going to see some of those businesses who maybe didn't talk about culture before, they're going to realize that they need to have a greater focus on their people, a greater focus on their processes because they're now working more remote, more flexibly, and a greater focus on having the right policies to get the best out of their team, right? To really support and augment their team. Where I want to finish is, is really with some, some takeaways. And, and that's something we try and do every week is, uh, give some takeaways for business owners, people leaders, 
uh, HR execs who are listening to this podcast that they can kind of take away and use within their businesses tomorrow, next week. And so the question I kind of want to ask, I want to ask you is, there may be people out there who are thinking, this is all going to die down and we're going to return to normal. We're going to snap back to normal and I'm going to be asking the team to come in nine and leave at five, Monday to Friday. We're going to go back to how things were before. You know, what are the three reasons from your perspective why companies should be really cautious, really nervous to do that? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I think, I think for me, this is the era of the employee revolution. So I kind of, my, my mind just goes back to Russian revolutions, Cuban revolution, the revolutions of the people. And I think this is, I think COVID is the catalyst for the revolution of the employee. When the employee had, had to be a rule taker around what is the organization's rules and how do I comply with them in case I lose my job, that employee will now have, the power balance will shift and that employee will, will go from an, a rule taker to not a rule maker, but at least a rule influencer, where the voice of the employees will have to be heard um, on how they want to work because the way they work influences their quality of life so deeply, whether they're forced to commute, how expensive that is, whether they can work from here, whether they can work from there. And they've now felt, they've now felt the that everything that they were saying to their employers around how you know they can be trusted to work in different ways, that trust has now been, been, been created. And so if the employer is then saying, well, okay, guys, that was a great experiment. Now it's time to go back to normal. They're going to face a revolt. And, and I think as employers, rather than trying to, rather than trying to shift back to what you believe was the status quo, what I would take away, and this is how we're approaching this as well, and no one knows what the real answer is yet, but try to lean into that. You know, how if your ultimate objective is to build a successful business, you can only do that with happy and productive employees. So how do you lean into what they want? Yes, there can be some give and take, there can be some negotiation, right? You don't have to fully accept what they want. You can have a you know a compromise. But how do you lean into that? Help help build a productive and happy environment for everyone, which means that you get to retain your staff, you get to be productive, you get to be successful, and you get to hire in other amazing people later on. Um, and what does your business look like after that? I think I think rather than three, I'll just give you that one, um, unless you want two more from me, Ben. <laughs> no, I like it. It's the the age of the employee revolution, and. Um, with that, we're going to bring this week's episode to a close. I want to say a big thank you to Tushar for joining us today. Thank you, Tushar. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. You know, always a fan of yourself and, you know, being a, a loyal and an avid supporter of Charlie HR and will continue to be. So thanks so much. You, you absolutely have been, and we, we, we appreciate you so much. Uh, to Mel, our producer behind the glass, for helping us keep this show on the road each and every week. To all of you listening along at home, uh, out on a walk, doing your exercise. Uh, you know, we're recording this just before July 4th, so maybe you're excited for your, your trip down the pub to 
tomorrow. Uh, remember, if there's an issue you'd like us to discuss, please drop us a line. I'm at Gately on Twitter and we are at Join Charlie. We look forward to seeing you again next week. I've been Ben Branson Gately, your host, and this has been the Culture Ops Podcast. Thank you.